The story of life usually begins at birth, but here we are going to start at the end. Well, actually, after the end. What do we mean? We want to start by looking at historical figures' legacies. How does society remember a person? And how does that memory shape our understanding of the past, and perhaps, more importantly, the present? I'm Justina. And I'm Jamie. And this is The Stories We Tell, a podcast that analyzes historical figures and how the stories we have told about them shape the larger histories about the creation of nations, the identity of their citizens, and so much more. Ultimately, history is a collection of interpretations made by historians. Here, we will look at how those interpretations created memory, one legacy at a time. Welcome to our bonus episode about the history of Thanksgiving. We hope you enjoy hearing about this holiday's unexpected origin story. And please make sure to come back next week for our regularly scheduled programming. Without further ado, here's Jamie telling me all about Thanksgiving. Happy holidays, everyone. Shall we talk about Thanksgiving? Tis the season. Happy Thanksgiving! Yay! Or is it? (laughs) I don't know. It depends on who you ask, for sure. So the first Thanksgiving was a harvest celebration held by the pilgrims of Plymouth Colony in the fall of 1621. So there was an actual meal that so much is true. But we actually know very little about the event itself because we only have two firsthand accounts to base our knowledge on Thanksgiving. No specific date was ever recorded. So, you know, we always celebrate Thanksgiving in November, but because this was a fall harvest event, it happened sometime between September and November, but exactly when, can't say for sure. Really? Did they call it Thanksgiving in the initial documents? No. No, they didn't call it Thanksgiving. So there were, you know, times of giving thanks And oftentimes, though, in these um, older Christian traditions, that was more associated with periods of fasting and praying, not necessarily feasting. But having a fall harvest celebration was something that the English had been doing for a long time. So this was kind of a tradition that the pilgrims brought with them. Some people believe probably because the stories we tell, that this became a recurring tradition among the pilgrims and people in New England, but we don't have any documentary evidence to back that up. Okay, okay. (laughs) Sounds like there's not a lot of documentary evidence to (laughs) back any of this up. There's not. We have have two accounts, one by uh, William Bradford, who was, you know, a leading figure, political figure in Plymouth and New England, and then another person that was there that recorded their account of things. Um, His name was Edward Winslow. Okay. So another colonist. So those are the only two written accounts that we have to base it on. So some of the myth, or I guess the mythologized version of it that is true is the fact that they were celebrating the fact that they'd had a successful harvest after having quite a hard time. That much is 
true. One key person kind of uh, assisting them in their efforts was a gentleman by the name of Tisquantum, also known as Squanto. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Surely you remember that from your childhood stories yes. of Thanksgiving, right? Yes. Tisquantum was helpful because he could speak English. He could communicate with the colonists. And the reason why he could speak English is because he'd actually been taken captive and sold into slavery. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Can, okay, you know, thinking back on a previous episode, would this have been a similar situation that we saw with Pocahontas? I mean, I know it would be different because her connection to Powhatan, but was this something that was... Uh, a captivity situation? No. Okay. No, it wasn't a captivity situation. Let me say it this way. Native people in the area we call New England had been coming into contact with Europeans for quite some time. And that's because a lot of Europeans, uh, fishermen and things like that, were oftentimes off the coast fishing. But We tend to think about slavery as just something that was happening kind of in an African context and the transatlantic slave trade and all of that. But in fact, there were vast numbers of indigenous Americans that were taken captive and sold into slavery. Okay. And so because there were so many vessels traveling to New England, it became an area in which you know, people would arrive. There certainly were trading relationships similar to what we had talked about before, about, you know, Powhatan engaging in trading relationships with the English. But when Europeans came to trade, they also took a number of Native people captive and then sold them into slavery in Europe. Historians debate how many times Tisquantum was sold but we know for sure that he makes it back to New England because the last person to have enslaved, maybe the only, but the last person to have enslaved him sent him as a translator with another company official of his to engage in trading and, and kind of networking economic activities in New England. And so that's how Tisquantum makes it back. That's fascinating. That is so much not a part of the stories we tell about the history of slavery in America. Thank you so much for including that. Super interesting. Well, and I think it's because we don't tend to, I mean, in terms of the stories we tell about America, we don't tend to talk about slavery in the context of New England at all. You're right. Um, and so this this challenges that quite a bit. The other thing, too, that's interesting about this Tisquantum comes into contact with these colonists that arrive in Plymouth as a captive. Not a captive of the English, though, or that former owner, but as a captive of the Wampanoag native people. Oh, wow. Okay. So when Tisquantum was traveling around with this other European that was a captain, he was a captain of a ship that was representing Tisquantum's owner. I hate to say it that way, but that was what it was. Yes. Um, they were uh, attacked by 
Native people in New England and Tisquantum was actually taken captive by the Wampanoag people who were suspicious of what he was doing traversing the countryside with a, a European. Yeah. And so um, same thing that we said when we talked about Pocahontas, we don't need to start thinking in terms of race necessarily, but certainly in terms of being community, a community outsider, being an other, those are the sorts of thought processes that are informing these decisions. Okay. And yes. so Massasoit was the Wampanoag leader, headman, who basically the Tisquantum's taken captive and he's brought back to Massasoit, who keeps him in a state of unfreedom. Okay. When the colonists, the pilgrims arrive and establish Plymouth, similar to the other example that we talked about in Virginia, there is some curiosity about what these people are doing, how many of them are, how long they're staying, what their intentions are. And because they know that Tisquantum can communicate with these people, Massasoit actually sends Tisquantum. The pilgrims think it's some is providence, like this great yeah. act of providence that Tisquantum just shows up and can communicate with them. But actually, you know, he's sent at Massasoit's behest. So um, interesting. Could you imagine, though, that you are in this completely new space and then somebody walks up and speaks your language? It must. I. It's a fascinating thing to con kind of consider what that would be like. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and as deeply religious people, it's not surprising to hear that they would connect that to some sort of religious. Sure. I mean, it's how they understood their it's how they understood their world. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, based on the conversations that are then had that to Squantum, you know, acts as kind of translator and mediator. It is agreed that Mazasoit and his people are going to create an alliance, if we can call it that, with the pilgrims. And it's kind of a mutual defense alliance. So Massasoit agrees to basically to Squantum's going to live with them and help them. And if they're attacked, the Wampanoag people will come to their aid in their defense. Same thing if the Wampanoag people are attacked the English will come to their aid and their assistance. Okay, so creating an, an alliance. Yeah, a defensive sort of mutual defense agreement. And this was really important for Wampanoag people because disease had hit this area uh, that we now call New England and the native people that resided there really hard. And yeah. that's because of that sustained kind of European economic contact. The Wampanoag people were in, they were in a vulnerable position because they were surrounded by a number of very powerful indigenous groups. Um, and so for them, making this alliance with the English was seen as a great strategic benefit in terms of kind of protecting them from their more numerous and powerful native neighbors. Make sense? Yes, absolutely. Tisquantum's there. He's helping them. They have a successful harvest in 1621. They decide that they're going to celebrate. Approximately 90 Wampanoag people attended the feast, one okay. of which was Mazasoit. Historians disagree about 
how they got, why they were there, how, how everything occurred that resulted in the fact that they were there. Older, I think kind of an older interpretation is that they were invited. We have no documentary evidence to say, like Bradford um, nor Winslow say we invited the Wampanoag people, but historians with no other way to explain their presence there assumed that some sort of invitation was given. A newer interpretation suggests that Wampanoag people were responding to this defensive, de mutual defense agreement that perhaps as kind of was the case at the time, the pilgrims were firing off guns to celebrate part of the celebration of this feast and that Wampanoag people responded to that, thinking that maybe there was some sort of attack and then realizing that it's not. And in fact, it was a meal that, um, you know, some hunting was done and they provided some venison. We don't really know because again, we have very scant documentary evidence and neither one of the people recording things said, this is what happened. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting interpretation about the the firing, celebratory firing, I mean, and then them wandering over and seeing what was happening. That's fascinating. Well, I don't think wandering over, really. It's more about, again, because they were supposed to be there for each other's mutual right. aid. And right. so they show up thinking stuff is happening. And then it's like, oh. Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I mean, he could have told us it was the celebratory firing that was going to happen. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Wow. Um, so that's some of the, the context around the actual, I actually have a quote here from Winslow from his journal of the account to kind Great. of show that we really don't know. So our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fouling that so we might after a special manner rejoice together. After we had gathered the fruits of our labors, they four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help beside, served the company almost a week, at which time amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. Many of the Indians coming amongst us and amongst the rest, their greatest king, Mazasoit, with some 90 men whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. That newer interpretation is relying on this account, the fact that he even says, we're ex we were exercising our arms and then many of the Indians coming amongst us. So because uh, historians have this understanding now of the fact that there was this kind of defense alliance, that's where that interpretation comes from. Very interesting. And did I understand that correctly? It was a three-day affair? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. According to Winslow, it was a three-day affair. So Is that why we get three days off from school? <laughs> Hmm. What's your favorite part of Thanksgiving? What's your favorite thing to eat? That's a great question. I, 
<laughs> and I, I don't know if I should add more pressure to the situation, but for the last however many years, you've been eating Thanksgiving meal <laughs> at my house. Yeah. And my cooking. So I might remind you to tread carefully. Well, I will say this. I grew up with a family who didn't particularly love Thanksgiving meal. And so growing up, the idea of having mashed potatoes on the table was just such a luxury. And so it definitely was growing up was the mashed potatoes. But as you mentioned, your, <laughs> I'm so your sorry. Introduction. I, I'm just thinking so much about um, it's just such a California thing, right? The whole salad, 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 yeah. salad. And I think I was having a memory of the very first Thanksgiving that I think you did with your now husband and you you <laughs> were talking to me about what you should bring and you were like, I'm gonna bring a salad. And I just I remember salad every year. thinking how strange it was that somebody was gonna have a, a not a not like a, a mayonnaise salad or something like that. Oh no no, no. but an actual green leafy yeah. Yeah. Salad. It seemed so out of place at a on a Thanksgiving table. I know, I know. it's so it's really is the California. But that's me. but that's my very un California approach. <laughs> but I will say my now Southern roots, which I'm going to call them that. Is that is that appropriate? Can I go? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I do love dressing though, and I had no idea what it was until my first. Georgia Thanksgiving and it was good stuff oh it's it's insane and some people may be listening and thinking oh yeah stuffing no (laughs) don't think that it's not the same thing it isn't and you you are correct that it is not the same thing Stuffing is really different and it goes in the bird you're not a fan I don't know it just it's different. Here's the thing. I've never actually had stuffing. But the oh. idea of it being cooked inside the cavity of a fowl throws you. Seems foul to me. Scary <laughs> and nope. appetizing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they didn't have cornbread dressing at the first okay. Thanksgiving. Do you want okay. you want to rattle off anything else you really enjoy? I mean, I'm. A, can I guess some things that they may have? I mean, I'm imagining they don't have canned cranberry sauce either. No, <laughs> no, they don't. Did they have corn? Yes. Did they have squash? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, you just mentioned that they had venison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Did mm-hmm. they actually have turkey? Mm. No turkey. Okay, so they had. So we're we're in you know what we now call New England or they were in what we now call New England. And so mussels, anybody? Oh, cool. Very traditional Thanksgiving dish of <laughs> mussels, right? Lobster. Oh, so much seafood. Grapes. Okay. Plums. Delicious. Corn. Okay. Deer or venison. Okay. Because we know that's what the... Native people provided. And then, and I quote, pumpkin pie. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no. Okay, sorry. Fowl. Okay, so some sort of bird. 
Fowl. Chicken? Fowl. Bird. Fowl. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just fowl. That's what that's what the record says. So Okay, so we don't know more specific. But I mean turkeys are indigenous to the Americas. So I will say this, as somebody who used to at one point live on Staten Island, saw many a wild turkey on Staten Island. It's the closest I ever lived to New England. <laughs> <laughs> but the records just say foul. Okay. So are you curious at all then how? How, how we got to turkey? Yeah. So out, based on two accounts of one fall harvest, that may or may not have happened again, that involved a number of people that were there for different reasons, celebrating kind of different things. How is it that we have this national tradition that happens, you know, the Thursday before rivalry weekend in college football? <laughs> I would love to know. And if you could tie in how we got to rivalry weekend as well, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> If only, if only. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If only. Sarah Hale. That's who we have to thank. I'm guessing 19th century. You are guessing correctly. Yes. Yes. So remember how when we talked about Pocahontas, we said that in the 1820s, trying to create some sort of origin story there's this genealogy that's done and so much of the myth around Pocahontas begins. Well, not the same. So it's not synonymous, but it is a similar sort of process at work in terms of the first Thanksgiving. Sarah Hale was the editor of a ladies magazine mm -hmm. and she came across some of the original sources of the feast in the 1840s. And she really focused on a particular line about fowl and kind of took that to mean turkey and ran with it. Really? And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so she used her magazine and her kind of power, we can call it that, as editor to encourage all these middle class white women across the country to begin cooking a traditional, I'm using air quotes, nobody can see me, mm -hmm. inverted commas, traditional Thanksgiving meal. And really lobbies hard to get turkey associated with Thanksgiving. Did she have, you know, the turkey in Was the street she working pocket? for the, the, for big turkey? I don't know. <laughs> she getting like a commission on each turkey sold? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Big turkey. Yeah. Anyway. So Hale begins writing letters to sitting presidents, trying to get them to proclaim Thanksgiving mm. as a national holiday. Okay. Now, say what you want to about Sarah Hale. I'm not saying anything. Well, you say what you want. But the lady was persistent. Very persistent. I believe it. Yeah. So she starts writing these letters in 1846. She starts okay. with President Zachary Taylor, a person that most people probably never have even heard of. 
right? Never yes. thought of as president, certainly. So she starts writing in 1846. She writes to Zachary Taylor, Millard Fillmore. This is like the greatest hits of U.S. presidents, right? <laughs> Millard <laughs> Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, James Buchanan, our famous bachelor president. And finally, who comes after James Buchanan? Oh. <laughs> All right. So James Buchanan is president in the 1850s. Abraham Lincoln. Oh, no. He's right before Lincoln? Yes. Does Lincoln make it a make it the the holiday? Yes. Do you think that it has to do with the fact that he's trying to create Yes, a union? Yes, yes, all of that. Yeah. Because Oh my gosh. It's fine. Okay, so she begins writing in 1846 and Abraham Lincoln finally kind of supports this idea making it a national holiday in 1863. Okay. Trying to create national unity. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. I did not know that. I did not tie Thanksgiving to the Civil War at all whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Wow. I really thought it would be much earlier around the times we came up with some, or like nation came up with some more of like the Columbus well, no, now, origin so stories. There had been a number of days of Thanksgiving proclaimed. Like, I think George Washington probably proclaimed the first one, right? Okay, okay. But in terms of a recurring national holiday. Okay. With turkey. <laughs> okay. That's, that's Abraham Lincoln. Wow. I did not think it would have come that late. I know this is a special episode and I'm, we're not doing a separate recorded conclusion. So I'm just going to pop in some interpretation here about the stories we tell. It is true that Lincoln is trying to kind of create this national unity. And I think that given the context of the Civil War, given the context of the Emancipation Proclamation and the fact that, you know, certainly by the time we get to 63, the war is being fought to end slavery, right? It's not about preserving the Union anymore. It's about ending slavery. Right. I think that it's very important that this story of national unity or this origin story come from the North yeah. and not the South. Oh, because certainly by that time, right, there is this very clear distinction, at least in terms of, of the rhetoric around everything and the way we still continue to talk about things about a free labor North. Yeah. And a slave labor South. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important, I think, within that context that this origin story or this story to create unity comes from the North, tracing this kind of first American moment to New England. Right. Instead of the Virginia colony. Yeah. And the Jamestown. Mm -hmm. And the fascinating because. As we just as a reminder to everyone, the Pocahontas myth and a lot of that origin story began to emerge 20 years before right. Sarah Hale started reading, you know, Winslow and Bradford's accounts of what's going on in Plymouth. And so there is some there is a time gap and a lot of sectional things have happened within that time frame. But I think. The thing that's so fascinating to me about this is that in both of these stories, it's so important that Native people be there. 
Oh, that's a great point. And that it's the way that it has been talked about for such a long time is very much through the the colonizer's gaze, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so according to the the story of the first Thanksgiving or whatever, it really does kind of emphasize the success that the pilgrims had in their harvest. Mm-hmm. They, and the, those older interpretations of inviting the mm-hmm. Indians mm-hmm. and everybody sitting down and breaking bread, no conversation whatsoever about this kind of mutual alliance. And certainly because we're trying to tell a story that's very far removed from slavery, we certainly don't want to talk about Tusquantum or Squanto's history. Like, why is it that he knows English? Right. For example. And it's also the natives in both stories. It's about ways in which colonists and natives are working together. Right. I mean, I know the Pocahontas story is also about how she saved John Smith. Right. But it's about them coming together, which we know historically that was highly unusual. Right. That colonists were um, causing tremendous amount of trauma and death amongst Native peoples just by being here and bringing horrific diseases that were devastating Native populations, right? Those stories are not included in either of those. No, uh, I mean, it takes takes all the violence violence out of the the story, right? The fact that, again, the violence associated with Tisquantum's captivity, the violence associated with the inter-native warfare that's taking place there that results in his second or third or however many captivity, but captivity by native people. The violence that's happening, you know, through the European lens of just war that the pilgrims are inflicting on other native people. Yeah, so all of that is is removed. Similarly, you know, when we talk about Pocahontas, a lot of emphasis, the English placed a lot of emphasis on the fact that she converted and everything. But in that telling of the story, there's not a discussion about the the violence of her kidnapping and how that would have. Right. However, she understood it because I know we spoke at length about that. However, she understood it. That initial kidnapping was a violent event. There's no of way course. that it could not have been. Also, again, it, the important part, though, is that Native people be involved, but that they're kind of acting and reacting to colonizers rather than being the leading characters in mm-hmm. the story. You know, Mazasoit made the decision to make this alliance with the pilgrims because he thought that that was what was best for him and his people at the time. Right. You know, and he's responding to this agreement that was made and he works really hard. And in fact, for the first 40 years, they have a pretty steady diplomatic trading relationship that exists. But that's not the focus of the story. Right. Instead, it's right. I mean, even like the way that it's talked about pilgrims and Indians. Yeah, it's a lot of agency is removed from the native peoples. Yeah. Okay, I have a question for you. So I'll be honest, as a California kid who, you know, went to ate elementary salad. school, ate salad, ate salad and went to elementary school, <laughs> went to elementary school on the West Coast. 
I would say that the story of Thanksgiving had greater emphasis as American's origin story than the Virginia colonies and Jamestown in terms of the ways history was taught to me as a young person in school. And I wondered, as someone who grew up in the South, is that different? Because I know that Virginians really do feel very aligned with their them having kind of origins. But I wondered if that was pervasive throughout the South, or is that a kind of Virginia story? No, I think it's much more of a Virginia story. I think the the efforts to make Thanksgiving a national, a story for national unity and a national identity over time were, were successful. And that's why, you know, you have children all across the country dressing up as pilgrims and Indians. Yeah, I definitely did that as a kid. I'm sure. I'm sure you did as well. I mean, we made construction paper. Yeah, I did. I did. So I will say this. The native viewpoint on this today is mixed. So some native people recognize Thanksgiving as a day of mourning and they don't celebrate it at all. Others, you know, have long family traditions and it's just a day of kind of gathering and eating and it really does depend on the individual, the family and the particular native group. Okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. This is a fascinating story. And you know what is really going to be a good takeaway for me here? I'm never forgetting to forget that Lincoln came after James Buchanan. (laughs) 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 Sorry, everyone. (laughs) No, but this is really, this is so interesting. And it's, uh, it's definitely a really, really important story that we tell, right? Because it is highly prominent in our elementary teaching of history. And it's come to have so much American meaning. Well, and I think too, because of the the city on the hill. Absolutely. Analogy and how over time, that phrase that was used to refer specifically to this moment in this area becomes a phrase that's applied to all of America. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I hope everyone has a lovely, lovely Thanksgiving. Yes. And that everyone celebrates it as, as they do, as they see yeah, it. Exactly. Well, maybe if that's not at all. And maybe that means I'm going to get to eat some of your dressing. No, you're not. Oh, darn. Remember you're leaving. That's right. That's right. I'll just dream about it then. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, check out the recommended reading list on our Instagram account. Our handle is stories underscore we underscore tell underscore podcast. 
Please join us next time to examine another legacy, another memory, and explore the stories we tell.